Let's um, turn to Romans 8, verse 9. Believe it or not, this is the 96th message in Romans 8, 9. It says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So let's do as we always do, take a step back, kind of pick up our context here. Obviously we know this is Paul, the Apostle, writing to the Roman Christians here. He declares it in Romans chapter 1. He's, he said, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. And he says, to the saints that be at Rome. So he's writing to Roman Christians and he's, what we'd say this is his exposition of the gospel. Remember way back when in Romans 1, 16 and 17, I said that's kind of Paul's thesis statement for the, for the book. Was for the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then it says, for the just shall live by faith. That was kind of his thesis statement. But then remember right after that, Paul jumps right into bad news. In verse 18 of chapter 1, bad news right off the bat. And he deals with the fallenness of man and the brokenness of man. And he does it for two chapters. And then in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 is when he starts to declare the gospel. After he's shown the man's fallen, lost, does not seek God, does not understand. He's dead in sin. And for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then he starts to declare the gospel in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. And then we saw the kind of some of the pictured out in Abraham and David. And then Romans 6 and 7, we, we saw, was kind of a parenthesis that Paul stepped back to deal with some issues that, that would, would come up because of what he said in Romans chapter 5, dealing with the law and dealing with the fact that grace means all of your sins are forgiven, even the future ones that you haven't even committed yet. So then where, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Remember Paul's statement on that? And then the question would be, well, should we continue in sin that grace does abound even more? And he says, God forbid, may it never be. And in Romans chapter 7, he deals with the law and he shows us that even as Christians, even those born again, Paul includes himself in that in Romans chapter 7, that we, we do the things that we don't want to do. We're doing the things that we hate to do. And the things that we don't, that the, we want to do, we're not doing. He says, for in my inward man, I delight in the law of God. But that's not what I'm doing. But even in that, then we, we start Romans chapter 8 with, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Even though, Christian, you're doing the things that you hate and that you don't want to do and you're breaking the law of God, there is therefore now no condemnation. Remember I brought out that he said it really means not even one condemnation. Not even one. And why was that important? Because if we kept the whole law yet offended one point, we're guilty of all of it. So Christ kept it all for us, and there is now not even one condemnation for us. And then we saw last week, Paul has been dealing with this picture of the believer and the unbeliever, and the unbeliever there in last week, which was uh, verses 7 and 8, was dealing with the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, the mindset on the things of the flesh, that that person cannot obey God. It says the carnal mind doesn't obey God because it cannot obey God. And then it says that that fleshly mind can't even please God either. 
And then we get to this verse. So I got three points in this. It's you in the Spirit. Are you, or are, is the Spirit in you, and the Spirit of Christ? That's my three points. So let's, let's go ahead and start with this. So once again, Paul here in Romans chapter 9, is, is, it's a contrast to what he just said in verses 7 and 8. In 7 and 8 he says, the fleshly mind, and he says, however, you are not in the flesh. He dealt with the unbeliever, the unregenerate there, and says that they are in the flesh. They are fleshly minded. They have fleshly thoughts. And in the flesh, they don't obey God because they can't. And they cannot even please God. This is true of every single person that does not believe upon Christ. However, though, that's the, that's the word here. Or but, or I think it's just however, but, depending on which version you're using. However, but is the contrast. However, the unregenerate mind has it. The unregenerate person has a mindset on the flesh and cannot please God. However, you. So he's changing. He's contrasting. The unbeliever, the unregenerate, has a mindset on the flesh, cannot please God or obey God. However, you, Christian. You, person in Rome at this time, right? You, saints that be at Rome, who trust upon Christ. He says, you are not in the flesh. That's, that's what he says. If you're in the flesh, you cannot obey or please God. However, you, Christian, are not in the flesh. Notice, Paul says this to them without even being there. He isn't in the conversation with them and says, you're in the spirit right now, but I noticed earlier today that you were in the flesh. He doesn't say that. He's writing to them to some of the people he may not even ever met yet to the saints that be at Rome. He simply in his monologue state that, states that they are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He states a matter of fact that you are in the spirit. You are not in the flesh. That's not the same language you, we use today though, is it? We might say, you know, I was in the flesh in that moment. Or, you know, when I was out there preaching, I was in the spirit. But that's not the, Paul, the language Paul uses here. He says, you Christian are in the spirit and not in the flesh. Paul says to all the saints who, have be at, who be at Rome, you're not in the flesh but in the spirit. How can Paul say this de definitively about people he may or may not know? Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone 
and from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. God will give you a new heart. That's what the text is saying. God does this. How can Paul say you are in the spirit? Why? Because God declared that he would do this. It's, he would give you a new spirit or a new heart and put his spirit within you. And what, that's what the text says, which we, we probably like to gloss over, doesn't it? It says he will cause us to obey him. It doesn't say that he'll give us a new heart and then leave us. Now you have a new heart, go ahead. But then he gives us his spirit. And what's the adjective we like to use for the spirit? The Holy Spirit. He has given you the Holy Spirit. So you have, Christian, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. And you think you can be in the flesh? You think you can live a life defined by the deeds of the flesh? What we saw the last couple of weeks, the deeds of the flesh? Our lives cannot be defined by that. Why? Because Ezekiel 36, and many other places I can show you too, but Ezekiel 36 says God will cause us to obey Him. So you will not be in the spirit. You will, I mean, you will not be in the flesh. You will not, your life will not be defined by the deeds of the flesh because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. If God has regenerated you, given you your spirit, and is causing you to walk in his statutes, you will. But you say, but my life is full of the deeds of the flesh. When I look at the deeds of the flesh, that's what I see. That's me. Or, I am walking in the flesh. I am fleshly minded. Then I say, you need to repent of your sins and look to Christ and be saved. Because the Christian doesn't do that. When God gives you a spirit, gives you a new heart, He causes you to obey Him. The Christian is not those things. Because like Paul says here in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. So Christian, you here today, you are in the Spirit. And what does that mean? Well, we've been there multiple times in the past few weeks, but let's go back to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, <coughs> kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now I know this is a pet peeve of many, and it might be a pet peeve of mine also. But notice it says the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It's not like... You get to pick and choose which ones you want. This is the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit comes, this is what He brings to, to you. He brings all of these things to you. If, that, if you look at that and you're like, that's not me at all, maybe you don't have the Spirit. Because when the Spirit comes, He brings that. Now let me add this to this too. Sometimes others see this fruit in you more than you see it yourself. But also, let me add this. Sometimes others may accuse you of not having this fruit, even though you do. Whether they are right or not, I guess, depends on you and them and that situation, right? Now, I'm not going to get into all that because that will take all day. However, the Christian will have the fruit of the Spirit. 
It will be there. It will be present. It will be what we walk in. It will be our life. And it shows up when the Spirit shows up. Even babes in Christ are displaying the fruit. Sometimes more so, so than the older person. Just because you're older doesn't necessarily mean you're more mature. Some people, when the Lord saves them, they grow like weeds, right? They're just on fire and they're growing and you're seeing, you're seeing it and it's like they're convicting you. And some have smaller steps, right? Some are like the, the, the real baby that's trying to walk and, and falling over and, and, then, and then crawling a little bit to get where they want to go all the way over here to mommy or daddy and they're crawling and then they try to stand up and they fall backwards and some of us, that's our Christian walk, right? Some fail more than others. Some struggle more than others. Does that mean that they aren't saved? Not at all. It just means that we're different. We aren't clones in Christ. However, one thing will be true of all of us is that there will be fruit. There is not an option of there being no fruit. Because Paul states emphatically without being there in person with them, just by the fact that they believe the gospel, that they are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of God dwells in them. So that's the real question, right? That goes to my next point. Is the spirit in you? So let me first deal with this, the word dwell. Let me go back actually to Romans chapter 8 and just reread it for us. However, you not, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwell in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So let's deal with that first word, that dwell. Because just a couple weeks ago, I dealt with the Spirit, and I showed us how the Spirit is a he, not an it. The Spirit is God. But this time, I want to look at what it means to dwell. This word for dwell means to inhabit, or to cohabit, or to occupy a house, or to reside. I think we could all find one of those definitions that we, we understand. So in other words, Christian, you are a house for the Holy Spirit. If you have him. If he's came to you, he inhabits you, and he resides in you. He has made his habitation in you. In other words, there are not Christians out there who deny the Holy Spirit. This is actually in direct opposition to those that claim the second blessing. I don't know if y'all ever heard of that, but I have. That yes, you're a believer, and yes, you're in Christ, but do you have the Holy Spirit? Have you heard that before? I did, because the first church I went to, when the Lord saved me, taught, taught that. That first church I went to was a crazy, charismatic church, and everybody would say, you going to the black church? And I'd always answer the same thing, I didn't know the church had a color. I mean, outside of the church, the building's kind of pink, but I didn't know there was a color. I thought we were the red church, because we're all covered in the blood of Christ. Now come to find out that that church was heretical, so <laughs> that might not have been true to them. However, when I went there, I sincerely believed the gospel. 
I believe that I was a sinner that deserved the wrath of God, but Jesus Christ fulfilled the law for me and resurrected for my justification. However, that church that I went to said, well, even though you believe the gospel, you need to speak in tongues. That's the only way we know that you have the Holy Spirit, right? When the Holy Spirit comes, you'll speak in tongues. That's second blessing. You may be a believer, but you don't have the Spirit unless you speak in tongues. So they had classes that taught us how to speak in tongues. Like the ones in Acts chapter 2. I don't have them there, do The Spirit came and they started speaking in tongues. This was the second blessing, they said. And typically those that hold to this second blessing also said, after this second blessing, you become sinless. Sinless perfectionism. If y'all don't know, famous preacher taught that, John Wesley. But it's also well established in the Pentecostal movement today. So let me answer that false theology with scripture and then move on. 1 John 1, 8-10 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. The Apostle John surely didn't believe that men became sinless. Then he follows in chapter 2, says, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's not just propitiation for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And we know from Romans chapter 7, Paul surely didn't believe that we became sinless in this life. Brethren, you won't be sinless in this life. You will battle sin. It will be present with you, around you, and in you. But you who have believed upon Christ have the Holy Spirit, and you, as Scripture says, are more than conquerors. It may be a battle, but we fight from the winning side of the battle, right? Christ has already won the war for us, and He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. That's what Peter tells us. Put in works. So there's not a second blessing, but simply a blessing of being in Christ and being given His, given His Spirit. There aren't Christians running around without the Spirit, nor are there perfect Christians. I know we, we all look for the, you know, the pastor must be the perfect Christian. We, I don't go to church because they're not perfect Christians in the church. You find that church, you ain't here on earth. You're in heaven. We don't have that. We're all broken, fallen. We're all here for the same reason, because He's not. Look back at our text here. It says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if any man does not have the Spirit, but if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If you have the Spirit of God dwell in you, But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. So that, that, that's the contrast, right? Christian, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, but if you don't, if a person doesn't have the Spirit, they don't belong to him. And this proves that, I believe. If you don't have the Spirit, you aren't in Christ. You are not his if you don't have the Spirit. And if you have the Spirit, there will be fruit. So the question, does the Spirit of God dwell in you, is answered like this. If you believe the gospel, the answer is yes. 
the Spirit of God dwells in you, and then there will be fruit. You say, well, this person say they believe the gospel, but I don't see any fruit. Who made you a fruit inspector? Do you know if that person is struggling right now? Right? Or has that has your Christian walk been so easy that you never had times when you were down in the valley? And you felt like giving up? I wish my walk was that easy. That I, it always looked like I was on the mountaintop all the time. That I wasn't in the valley and you couldn't look in and say, I don't know if he's a believer or not. I just showed uh, Amanda a video from Paul Washer last night. It's a little funny video. And he says, you know, if, some, if somebody hated me and they wanted to try to prove I wasn't a Christian, they could follow me around with a camera. And he said, and just imagine it's cold outside and I get up in the morning and I went in and sleep last night so I'm a little grumpy and I walk outside and he said, and the worst thing that could ever happen happened. A cat was there and I don't like cats. And I kicked the cat and they took a picture right there. Paul Washer's not a Christian because of that, right? Do you think people could do that with us, right? Do not all Christians have times that we are struggling? I know I've had times in my life when you look at it, you would say, well, he isn't a believer. But if you ask me during those times, do you believe the gospel? I would tell you, yes. I believe the gospel. Maybe right now I'm in the, in the, in the desert or in the, in the wilderness or in, in, a, in a very deep valley, but I believe the gospel. But Jeremy, doesn't the scripture say you'll know them by the fruits? So if I look at someone who claims to believe the gospel, but they aren't reading the Bible as much as I think they should, or maybe they're not praying enough, or I never see them evangelize, I can chalk up that they don't know Christ, right? I don't think so. You know them by the fruits is actually talking about heretics in Matthew chapter 7. We love to quote that verse when we're, when we're judging people, but it's about heretics. And he said the, 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 their fruit is not their works in the sense, it's their false doctrine. You will know them by their fruits because they're teaching heresy. And you can chalk up that anybody's teaching heresy that they are not a Christian. When I say heresy, I mean those teachings that pervert the gospel. If they're perverting the gospel, they're not a Christian. That's what Paul pretty clearly says in Rome, or I mean Galatians chapter 1. If me or an angel from heaven preach another gospel to you, let him be accursed. If someone confesses our faith, we ought to be careful. We all have times of being up or down. What's our command to somebody who confesses the faith but is sinning? To count them as an unbeliever? Maybe if they won't repent of that sin, but turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Are we doing that? That's the question. When you read that, that's, you should think of yourself. Am I doing this? Actively. Bearing one another's burdens. Coming alongside one another. And it says to consider yourself. Lest you be tempted. 
Why? Because when you sit back and go, I'll never do that. And then the following week, you're doing it. If someone believes the gospel, they have the spirit. But that doesn't mean the struggle is over. It's still a fight, brethren. It's a fight that we can't do alone. As strong as men we like to be, this is not a fight you do alone. You come alongside other brothers and sisters and fight this fight together. The verse I quoted earlier tells us, you know, that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Well, one of those things is the church. It's a local body of like-minded believers. In our day, it's almost looked upon as taboo to speak highly of the church. But I'll warn you, be careful when you're speaking about Christ's bride. I sure don't like it when people speak negatively about my bride, but I don't have eyes like a flame of fire. I can't call down 12 legions of angels. If I could, <laughs> earth probably wouldn't be left. I'm not the sovereign of the universe. The local church is God's institution here on earth for his elect to be part of, for us to grow spiritually together and advance his kingdom together. We're to come together. And we all have the same spirit dwelling within us, helping us. So if you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have the spirit dwelling within you, and you are part of something bigger than you. The kingdom of God. Let's move, move on here. Back to Romans 8. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwell in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. This third point here, the spirit of Christ. I want us to notice something here in our text, though. And it's something that we ought not to miss. You can't just read over this text and miss this. The spirit in this verse is called the spirit of Christ. But earlier in the exact same verse, he's called the spirit of God. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I proved that the Spirit is God. But this text is another text that proves that Christ is God. So is the Spirit the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ? The answer is yes. Our very creeds tell us this too. The Nicene Creed says, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. This is a creed that we should all hold to as Christians. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. He is the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ, who is God. We see the Holy Trinity in this verse. So we can say that, the, that God's Spirit lives within us, or Christ's Spirit lives within us, or the Holy Spirit lives within us. We have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us. Let's see another scripture that shows us this. Turn up to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2.20. This is Paul here again. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Christ lives in me. Well, I thought the Holy Spirit lived in you. Yes. <laughs> you see how closely connected the Trinity is in salvation? 
And I'd, I'd say this, we're not going to deal with this so much today, but not just in salvation, but in creation also. We see it in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. Why did I mess up my G word? Genesis chapter 1, that the Spirit hovered, hovered above the waters. Genesis chapter 1, in the creation. We see in Colossians chapter 1, it says, For by Him, talking about Christ, were all things created, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, but it says, in heaven and earth, before that. I misquoted it. But by Christ, all things were created. But I thought the Spirit. Yep. But I thought the Father. Yep. So not just in creation is the Trinity at work, but in the new creation. Us. Right? If a man be in Christ, he be a what? A new creature. A new creation. Let's see something else here. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Notice it says right here in this verse, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself. But in Galatians, it says... Christ delivered himself up for me. So he delivered himself up, but then this verse says it, it was through the, the eternal spirit that he was delivered up. So which is it? How about the picture of Abraham and Isaac? We know that picture, right? Abraham and Isaac. This was a picture of salvation. This is what, when we look at that, it actually happened, but it was a picture of something greater that was going to happen, where the father was going to offer up his son. What did Abraham say when he was about to offer up Isaac? The Lord will provide his lamb. Who is that? When John the Baptist shows up, what does John the Baptist say? When, when Jesus shows up on the, on the scene, he says, Behold the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. No more will we bring forth lambs as men. Because before, through a whole old covenant, it was the lamb of men. It was, Jason, you brought your lamb. It was, this is Jason's lamb. Not anymore in the new covenant. Because we have the lamb of God. God provided himself the lamb. God the Father offered up his son, his son as well. So in other words, God offered up himself for you Christians. And this is truly what forgiveness really is. It, it's, for, it's not forgiveness if you come into my house and you break my lamp and I make you buy me a new lamp and then I say, well, now I forgive you. It's truly forgiveness when you break my lamp, I go buy my own lamp and I forgive you anyways, right? But that's what we did with God. We came into this world, we broke his law. And what did he do? He came down and fulfilled that law. And then died for you. And died for your sins. And then rose from the grave three days later. Powerful. Displaying to be the Son of God. And ascended up to the right hand of the Father. Where He sat down victorious. Where He intercedes for us.
He fulfilled all of it for you. You broke all of it. <laughs> he fulfilled all of it. Every jot and tittle. As I demonstrated last week, then he nailed it to his cross. So instead of you being on that cross, it was him. This same spirit that rose him from the grave, we saw this in Romans chapter 1. It says he was de declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. That same spirit now lives in you. When it, it, it says he was declared to be the Son of God with power, I don't know if any of y'all know this, but the, the word there, could, we could translate it to dynamite, to explosive power. It was, it was the term dunamis. To, he was determined to be the Son of God with explosive power. And that same spirit that rose him from the dead lives in me. And you, Christian. Isn't that amazing? Something we probably don't think about, right? When your alarm clock goes off in the morning, you got to get up and get ready for work. You're not thinking, the Spirit of God dwells in me. But he dwells in you the same then as he does right now. Let's look at one more verse. It's right back there in Romans chapter 8. Before I close this doctrinal portion. Now we're not really going to deal with the verse. But we'll deal with it maybe in a week or so. Verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. If he raised Christ, and he did, he will also raise you, Christian. So this life of struggle isn't all there is for us, right? This 60, 70, maybe 80 years of struggle that we deal with, that's not it. We may fight and struggle on this side of eternity, but there's coming a day when it'll be over. There'll be no more sin to fight with. There'll be no more losses of our loved ones and our friends. It's coming, brother. But while we're here, let's work for His glory. Amen. Move on to application here. Uh, call to faith and repentance here. And as I always do, to the unbeliever here. You won't come to a worship service of God's church and not have a preacher knocking at your door, I hope not. I'm at your door right now. Though the church is for the weak, there will be tares in it as well. If you don't know Christ this morning, you are not in the Spirit. The Spirit is not in you, and you are in the flesh. I can say this without reservation. Because it's exactly what the Bible teaches. You are lost. And even if you look at your life and you're like, it doesn't look that bad. I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not as bad as this person. We saw last week that you can't even obey God. Even when you're doing, you could come to a church service, sing the song, you could get up here and preach and take communion and all that. If you don't know Christ, none of that is obedience. And none of it pleases God. You think you can not obey God and not please God? And you think you're just going to walk into heaven when you die? That's not the case. Scripture declares that those who are in the flesh 
that live by the flesh, that have fleshly minds, have fleshly thoughts, that they, they, their lives are defined by the deeds of the flesh, it says they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. When you die, and you will, I mentioned often 150,000 people die every single day. I don't need the CDC, who, or Bill Gates to tell you that you're headed towards death. All of us are. You have a disease called sin, and sin kills. And it affects all of us. Every single one of us sitting here, it affects all of us. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it says, and the wages of sin is death. So by your sins, you have earned death. Not just physical death here either. We all have that. We're all headed that, that way. But eternal death in hell to those who are in the flesh. However, Scripture declares that the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That eternal life is found in Christ Jesus. The one who fulfilled the law, died for sin, rose from the grave, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And the call of Scripture to you, if you don't know Him today, is to believe upon Him. It's not to get to work and do these things and do this and do that and do this. It's to repent of your sins and look to Him as your only way of salvation. There's nothing more important for you today than that. Believe in the person and work of Christ. Don't die in your sins. To the believers now. When looking at a text like this, I think it should do at least two things to us. It should comfort us in Christ because we are in the Spirit and we know that we are in Him. We are in Christ. We know this. This text comforts us. Right? However, I think it should also convict us. Why? Because this past week, did you live like it? Every day? All day were you living like it? Were there moments or even days this past week where if someone were to look in, they would come to the conclusion that you're an unbeliever? That they would see no difference between you and the unregenerate? Now, I'm not saying we live for the approval of others, because that's, for lack of a better term, stupid. And we'll drive you mad. But if we were to put your whole life from this past week on that television set right there, would you try to fight me before I press play? <laughs> the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And if you're quenching the Spirit by your flesh, this text ought to convince us and convict us in tears. If we still do this today, this, this, something like that should make us shave our heads and the KJV says, rent our clothes. Like, but tear our clothes and repent in dust and ashes. So don't let a verse like this fall on deaf ears, Christian. Lay down more of your life for Him. That's our call, right? That's our call. What did John the Baptist say? I must decrease, He must increase. I've said for years, you know, if there was ever a life verse, that should be a life verse for every Christian. That should be our, our whole life is to decrease to make His name great. Are we actively doing that? Or are you just come in here to sing some songs on Sunday? You like singing? I like to sing those Sovereign Grace songs or whatever we're singing. You like the communion table? 
make you feel comfortable, right? You think you can get forgiveness for your sins from the communion table. Maybe you like the preacher. Besides my wife, I don't know. But what about on Monday? What's your mindset on Monday? We all have that mindset when we wake up on Sunday morning, we shave, some of us. And we get all freshened up and we put on our Sunday best. And we come in here. But what about Monday? What about Thursday? When we don't have a midweek service, right? Now you're four days into the week. Have you forgotten all this? You've forgotten what was preached on Sunday? You forgot the songs you sang or coming to the table of the Lord? You've forgotten your mission? How do we fight this? How do we fight this actively as Christians? By being in fellowship. By being in the Word of God and study or, or just reading. By praying. By listening to preachers. Throughout the week, we can all make time to do that, right? Give 30, 40 minutes. Keeping your mind set on the things of the flesh. Flesh, on the spirit. And serving others. That's how we do it. Keep your mind set on the things of the spirit and serving others. So Christian, your call this morning is to believe this. That you are in the spirit and walk in him. To return to your first love and repent of your sins. To look to Christ this morning in faith and repentance. And repeat the words of Isaiah when he had seen the Lord. What did he say? Here I am, Lord. Send me. Which takes me to my last point of application here. Our call to war. Some may not like the language of call to war. I say it, said it before, I'll say it again. The church militant is at war. Not a physical war against people. Not taking up arms against people. But a taking up a sword against spiritual wickedness. It's Yes, you are in the spirit. Now take up the spirit's sword and fight. You have it already, right? We're all sitting here. We all have Bibles, right? We all have more Bibles than we, we even know what to do with. Hundreds of them. Just right there on your phone. We actually have Bibles now that will read for us. We, of all people, have no excuse. Imagine the first century. They may have had a page. They may have had the book of Ephesians. That's all they had at Ephesus. Now we have a Bible. I can press play and this thing will read it to me. You may have many different swords, but are you using it effectively? Is it on your mind and lips often? Is the sword there ready? It should and must be. You're at war whether you like it or not. Why would we be lazy in a war? How many soldiers in a war are sleeping? Sleeping in, just being lazy. How many of them? The dead ones? <laughs> now I speak metaphorically, of course, but, but you get my point. We should always be ready for battle, in season and out of season. Why? Because as I previously mentioned, 150,000 people will die today, brother. 150,000 people. It's a stat that is overwhelming. There's two people every second. Almost two people every second. So every single second we sat in here, two people died every single second. Stepping off into eternity. What are we doing? And some of them could be your loved ones. That person you've been around your whole life, you've never spoke the gospel to. 
Do they know Christ? If not, what are you doing to show them Christ? I'm just being nice and waiting for them to ask me, right? And now what we do? I'm just going to be nice and hopefully they'll ask me someday. Brethren, they'll die in their sins before they ask you. We're called to preach. We're all called to preach. The Great Commission is not go ye into all the world and be nice. It's go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Take up your sword and go. Just think about this. By next Sunday, if you come in next Sunday, by then over one million people will have stepped off into eternity. What are we waiting for? A million more? A million more? You're in the Spirit. You have the Spirit. Now go be filled with the Spirit and preach Christ and Him crucified to a lost, dying world. Amen.